0: This week on the podcast, my guest is literally a walking medical miracle. M. Carey was 20 years old when she fell 14,000 feet while skydiving and survived. She broke her L1, her pelvis, and with a spinal cord injury, was unsurprisingly told, you'll never walk again. Well, M did walk again. And now, nine years later, is living an amazing life, not in spite of, but with the ongoing complications of her accident, which include things like complete incontinence. How Em survived is only half the story. How Em chose to have her incredible life at the same time as these catastrophic injuries is the part that'll blow your mind. Her new book is called The Girl Who Fell from the Sky. It's out right now. This conversation was just so very inspiring. I feel it's going to change your life as much as it changed mine. I can't wait for you to hear it, but first, some ads. <laughs> you may hear some ads here. If you do, appreciate you very much because you're helping us keep the lights on, hear it better than yesterday headquarters, and if not, well, great. You'll hear M say something cool.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
2: Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
3: I figured that I could be paralyzed and miserable and resentful and never try to make anything of my life or I could be paralyzed and try to create a fulfilling life for myself regardless of that because I knew that either way I was going to be paralyzed so that was out of my control but what was in my control was my mind and I have no idea where this big revolution came from because it, it wasn't it wasn't me at all but I think just As I said before, having that experience of thinking I was about to die as I was falling, it changed my entire perspective. And I thought in that moment when I was falling, I would have done anything to survive and anything to have another day on earth, let alone another 10 years or 50 years, whatever it is. And so here I was surviving, yet I was so unhappy and I was wasting that time. So I thought I didn't survive this unsurvivable thing to lay here and be upset. And so I just wanted to make the most.
0: That is author and disability advocate, M. Carey. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. Thanks so much for being here. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and who am I? I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm now a single crutch walker, and I'm proudly skin staple free since last Thursday. Uh, this podcast is three times a week, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays hundreds of episodes worth checking out. Every single one of them will do just what it says in the box, just help make your day today better than yesterday. Big hello to the team who are on Discord. It's lovely to connect with you there. Uh, it's growing more and more every day. I'm enjoying the back and forth. If you want to join in on the Discord, it's kind of like an old school chat room and I really like it. It's a much nicer way to connect with people than the other ways that I've been trying. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. So in the show notes for this episode, you'll you'll, you'll find the link, just click on that, but it, it won't work forever. So if you're listening to this in a couple of days or weeks from now, probably won't work anymore. I just, uh, we only let a few people in at a time, so we can kind of all get to know each other. It's actually, actually really nice. Also, big thanks for the um, great feedback on Dad Pod. Charlie and I did a Q&A this week, which was a lot of fun. And I actually got to find a way to discuss my theory of horsepower and parenting and that there is really no problem that cannot be solved by adequate and liberal application of horsepower. It's pretty silly and a lot of fun. Let me tell you about my guest today. M. Carey is an author and a disability advocate who currently calls the Gold Coast home. At the age of 20, M. fell 14,000 feet out of a helicopter doing a tandem skydive. Neither the main chute nor the reserve chute opened properly, and she hit the ground face first with her instructor still strapped to her back at 200 kilometres an hour. Incredibly, they both survived. But M sustained injuries that would permanently alter the course of her life. She broke her L1, she broke her pelvis, she injured her spinal cord and was told, not surprisingly, you'll never walk again. But walk she did. Now, after speaking with M, hearing about the accident, hearing about what it was like to learn to walk again, it, that is rightly inspirational. However, for me, it's how she keeps living how she chooses a resilient life, full of joy, full of friends, full of rich relationships, at the same time as being what she calls a walking paraplegic, at the same time as being completely incontinent, something she's quite open about. That she enjoys her days, continues to live a wonderful life. For me, that is as incredible as her being able to walk after sustaining such a traumatic, traumatic injury, catastrophic injury. Em's written a book about her experience, The Girl Who Fell from the Sky. It's out right now. So while well, you pop online and buy that book from wherever you buy your books, enjoy this conversation with M Carey. I'm grateful that we are, we're able to, to, to talk to each other today, and I'm grateful that you've written a book because, you know, it's, it's an odd, oh, having done one, having done a, a memoir, it's kind of weird writing your autobiography, and you've still got a lot of your life to live. Yeah, um, yeah. My, my joke, my joke was it's it's just the halftime report. Yeah. It's not. The, yeah,
3: <laughs> I did. What's it? Yeah, sorry. I did have know. a lot of thoughts of that being only in my twenties. I just kind of thought, like, who am I to write a memoir? Like, I've barely yeah. lived.
0: <laughs> well, some would argue that you've lived a, a lot, and you've faced more than anyone could ever fathom uh M. where are you right now in the world
3: at this very moment i am at my mm. house um on the gold coast and i'm in the middle of my ah. book tour so tomorrow i'm leaving again to tassie and perth and right yeah it's been such a well end. it's been amazing wow.
0: Go- uh, yeah gr- and good uh, but your gold coast is a, is a long way uh d- geographically and weather-wise from canberra yes where you grew up
3: yes and that is why i moved <laughs> i moved purely because of the weather <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just cold what, cold what, weather's
3: not for me. And
0: scraping scraping ice off the windshield in the morning oh, is not, not Yep.
3: That's yeah. Wow, that just unlocks some repressed memories. I haven't thought about that
1: for so many years. No, I know.
0: <laughs> I know, right. But it was in Canberra that you were, I guess, doing the, the, the hustle jobs to try and save up for your big Euro trip.
3: Yeah. So I was only 20 and after school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go with my life. But all I knew was that I wanted to travel and I wanted to see the world. So I was just working. I think I had five jobs at the one time, just working like bars, restaurants, nightclub, childcare, chemist, all these different things just to save up for this big
0: Europe trip. And, you know, what's, what's lovely is that as often is the case, and it's wonderful, you were on this adventure, you were on this mission, this goal with another person, weren't you?
3: Yes, yeah, my best friend Gemma. So we had been friends since we were five years old and this was going to be our big um, trip. Like kind, it kind of felt like it was the start of the rest of our lives. Like we hoped that whatever we found on this trip would lead us in the direction of what we wanted to do afterwards. Yeah. And I guess it did, just not at all in the way we expected.
0: I, kind of think, I have this kind of wild theory. I grew up in Brisbane. It's not quite Canberra, but I'd say in the, at the time, the internationalness of the city, Canberra would definitely be higher on the list than Brisbane, which was a big cow town <laughs> when I lived there. And I have this kind of theory that people in Australia who were in the smaller parts of the country, those who got out, of those parts were driven by a far, far greater force than those who either, you know, went from Sydney or, or Melbourne. Yeah. Would you think that, you know, having met people overseas and having met other people that have travelled, do you think that might be the case with Canberra?
1: Um, I'm not sure.
3: I think for me I definitely, I, I never felt any passion in Canberra and nothing against Canberra, but for me I'm such a ocean person and a warm weather person and I love all these yeah. kind of activities that I didn't. That didn't exist in Canberra, and so yeah. for me, going out and seeing the way that other people live and different lifestyles, I was like, "Oh, there's there's more than one way to live. I don't have to stay in this place that doesn't feel like yeah. home to me."
0: Oh, look, I am a I'm a very big fan of the concept of uh, space and place, and how that in in immediately impacts. Our our behavior, uh, the way we interact with each other, um, this studio, this room in my house, you know, uh, you know, our living room. If those two spaces were designed differently, I'd have very different podcasts and very different dinners with my family. Yeah. Canberra, uh, anyone who's ever driven into it, will go. Hang on, is this like the biggest university campus in the world? <laughs> like it's it's this wild kind of almost the way I describe it, for me, it's almost like this kind of a city made of blue tack. There's so much of it that isn't different ever. Like there's so much homogeny in in Canberra that, you, you know, as my young brain when I first arrived there, I didn't quite understand. Like, oh, it's just all these roundabouts and so all the houses roundabouts. look the same. <laughs> and and the buildings all look like a university campus. And occasionally there's something extraordinary like a gallery or um, a, a Car- 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 Carillion, the
3: Oh, the Grillion! Yeah, the the big
0: bell tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that, or it's just another building that looks like the building next to it, and that kind of lack of, you know, structural is all kind of quite brutalist at the time that you know it kind of blew up, and and that can, having worked with a few people from Canberra, that can affect affect the way you you know kind of look at the world, I guess.
3: Yeah, I never thought of it like that. And when I when I lived. In Canberra, I very much didn't like it. I thought it was really boring. I didn't know what to do, and I just yep. and I guess I had a lot of um, negative memories attached to it. But what's been great as I've gotten older and I've moved away, every time I go back, I love it more and more. And I'm actually, yeah. I actually think it was a really incredible place to grow up because it's it's a city, right? But it doesn't feel yep. like a city at all. And I never yeah. realized how much it really was. In the middle of nowhere and how much nature was surrounding it until i left visited other cities and i thought canberra was actually yeah. a really a really beautiful place to grow up and i'm so glad that my love for it is coming back because i definitely didn't feel yeah. it when i before i left
0: this is also an experience of the friends of mine that grew up in canberra because yeah. <laughs> you know, it is really once you i guess once you get you know you're still in your 20s but uh, as you kind of yearn for a bit of nature and understand how much nature can change the way we feel in our body. Uh, I remember when I first got to Sydney, I, I would just be like, "Jesus!" I was living in Piermont, in the middle of the city. There was some water there, but it was still a very much a working harbour. There was heavy industry right on the water, and I would on the week, I would on the weekends, I would go and find kind of national parks yeah. around Middle Harbour just to be somewhere where I couldn't see anything yeah, but trees just to
3: see a tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: It was just like, this is fucked. I yeah. don't feel good in my body because of this. I didn't know what biophilia was at the time, but I, I, I remember that. And in Canberra, it's, it's right there, which is kind of quite quite handy. Yeah. Do you remember when you and your mate, like what was it like getting on on the plane? I'm guessing you flew a domestic out of Canberra to Sydney or Melbourne and connected. Was there a big farewell yeah. with their balloons?
3: Um Yeah, it was just us. So we said goodbye to our families in Canberra. And I remember, and I don't know if I just feel this way in hindsight after everything that did happen, but the way that it is in my memory is that when we left, it really did feel like we were starting this new chapter and saying goodbye to everyone and our town. I just knew that I would never see it the same and see my life the same after I had left and experienced other things and come back. So it did feel like this really big pivotal moment in our lives and getting on the plane. I just, I felt so excited for the unknown. And up until that point in my life, I wasn't really an excited person at all. I was kind of a pessimistic person. I kind of was just like trudging along through life. I didn't really care about much. So feeling that excitement and anticipation and wondering what will happen next was an unfamiliar feeling to me.
0: Was this the first time you you had been overseas? Um, I've been to
3: Thailand. So it was the first time I'd done like a big across the other side of the world trip and we got to London, had a few days in London and then we began a – we did a top-deck trip, you know, those trips where you get on a bus and they take you to all the different countries. (laughs) And we intended to do that and then see what places we liked best and then after that return to those places.
0: Right. So uh, the – Yeah. I don't know anything about. I've never been on them. I've only heard stories of people who've been on them. And some of them say, like, there's one particular guy I used to work with said, yeah, I went on that. I did three straight weeks of drinking and I don't remember anything. Didn't sound that's not, I, I wasn't even sober at the time when I first went to Europe, but um, as an adult, but I don't, it didn't sound appealing to me. Was that your experience?
3: Well, I was only on it for two days. So,
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> so I don't know. But I guess everyone is, uh, from like eighteen to twenty-five, so it very much was that age of partying and drinking, which wasn't really, definitely not my scene now, but it wasn't yeah. back then. So I don't know how the rest of the trip would have played out, but I didn't really get to
0: experience that much of it. So you're only so you're only a couple of days in, and you get to you get to Switzerland, mm-hmm. which is a glorious part of the world. I have, I have family there. I've spent a bit of time there. It's extraordinary country, fascinatingly beautiful, unbelievably interestingly like politically really wild place
3: it was the most I remember driving in on the bus and thinking this is the most beautiful place in the world and not even from my point of view I thought it must be a fact like everyone's voted and this is the most beautiful place in the entire world I just and the air felt so fresh when you (laughs) breathe you just felt like you've never taken a proper breath in your life (laughs) until then
0: (laughs) I can't agree with you more I I got the feeling when I first got there I'm like This is like Legoland. Yeah. This is the stuff I see. I've only ever seen this kind of order of a community or order of like, and here's the trolley bus and here's the bus station and here's the, and everyone's walking and having a great time. And even people who are super high profile CEOs are walking. And so are the people who clean the toilets in that CEO's building. Everyone's walking and it's okay. Pedestrian, you know, motility is fine yeah i would never seen that yeah you know yeah
3: it's so beautiful and where we were is was a town called laudabruna so i didn't i've been back to the city since then but at this time i'd only been to this one little town and it just everywhere you could see looked like a photo like it was that phrase i can't believe my eyes i really experienced that for the first time i was like i cannot believe what i've seen it's just so perfect and as I said before, we intended to do this trip to all these countries and decide where we wanted to go back to afterwards. And I, it was only our second stop, but I was like, this is the place. This is, I'm never going to yeah, love right. anything more than this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Primacy bias is a wild thing. <laughs> and I, look, I totally get it, mate. I, I totally get it. If you've never had that kind of cheese for breakfast, you've never eaten a baguette, you know, uh, like that, you've never kind of, se- I'd never seen. Because, you know, I was in my first few days were in Geneva. I'd never seen such a multicultural city, you know, growing up in Brisbane. There was a, occasionally non-white people. Yeah. Uh, but not many. Yeah. And then now you're in Geneva, which is like the, you know, this extraordinary city uh, of huge international kind of uh, not-for-profits and aid agencies and things and banks that all are based there. And I was just, that was the first time I ever saw somebody working w- walking in a full burqa. I'd never seen that in my life. Wow. And yeah. I saw it. There by Lake Geneva, yeah, with the mountains in the background. Yeah.
3: like, fuck, what? <laughs> yeah, even in the city, it doesn't feel like the city, right? It's yeah, nature is everywhere. Un-
0: mm. Unbelievable. So you and you and Gemma are having a having a great time. Are you like in a, a dormitory situation? Are you like in a room full of bunk beds?
3: Yes, we are in a room full of bunk beds, along with all the other people. So we got there the first day. We got there. We just we didn't really we just hung out that night, kind of explored the town a little bit, and then the next morning when we woke up we had decided to go skydiving and so skydiving was something that was like on the bucket list from day one. I always knew that when we got to this particular town, I would go skydiving. It's something I'd wanted to do for years and years and I'd never, obviously never been to this place before, but I just knew that was where I wanted to do it. And so that morning I had intended to um, get up and go for a run. Running was like my thing that I, I absolutely loved. It was it was just my favorite thing, and I thought if there's ever a place to go for a run, it's here in this most beautiful town.
0: Let me ask you this, Em, as a uh, as a former runner, uh, what what did running do for you?
3: I think I just felt like my mind felt clear, and as I said, up until w- before that point in my life, I wasn't really, I didn't have a positive mind at all, and it always felt cluttered, and I always felt a bit down. And so when I would run, I would feel so powerful and free. And even if all I was thinking about was how tired I was and how much I how exhausted I was, it meant that I wasn't thinking about anything else. I, so I think I just felt very present in a way that not many other things did for me when I ran. Uh,
0: you've described it perfectly. Uh, we, um, uh- I'm assuming you, you no longer run?
3: I can't run anymore. No.
0: Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Uh, for, for very different reasons. But it's the thing I, I miss yeah. you know, th- like the most yeah. is that when I traveled, I would just drop bags in a hotel, shoes on, shorts on, out the door, turn left, run for half an hour, turn around, run back. Yeah,
3: and what a way to explore now, different places.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Jet lag. Uh, orientation, you know, headspace done. Yeah, done. Yeah, easier than any like I, I'm, and I, yeah, I I would run every day. I run ten k's a day. I miss it. Yeah, I, I miss that that ability to r- regulate not only my body but also my headspace. Yeah, um, yeah, it's
3: about so much more than the physical aspect for sure.
0: How, and so that run the morning of your accident, what was that run like?
3: Well, I didn't do it, and this will I'll <sighs> tell the story later. But I woke up. And I just couldn't be bothered. And actually, the night before, we had done the whole drinking thing. We went out to a bar. And so I guess I was kind of, I don't think you really feel hungover when you're 20. But I was just in a mood where I thought, I can't be bothered. Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here and not really do anything until the skydive, which was at lunchtime. Yeah. And so, yeah, I came to regret that decision a few days later.
0: <laughs> you can't, you, you know... You, you can only look back on it and laugh. We'll talk about regret yeah. later, but you know, I hope you found a way to process. it. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure you have. We'll, yeah. we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, now, I've only ever seen. You know, I've done on TV shows. I've worked on. You know, we have been like, and you're skydiving today. <laughs> you know, I've, we've done that a bunch. Of t- I've been in a plane that I haven't take gotten out of the plane, mm-hmm. uh, but I've I've been in a plane that's taken people for either radio or television up to to you know launch themselves into the atmosphere but it's only ever a plane I've never seen it done in a helicopter
3: yeah I think it's pretty which I didn't realize but I think it is pretty rare to do it in a helicopter I don't think I don't know if they do that in Australia I think it's normally a plane how come you've never jumped
0: not for me (laughs) fair enough (laughs) not for me. I always used to make this joke when I was a kid. Uh, I was heaps into bands. I'd play band, play music all the time. It's like when I've got my double live album in the can, so that means I would have had to release maybe four or five regular records yeah. and then a live album. To Back in the day, you had six record deals, and the sixth record is usually the live album, and that's the one you leave your record company on and then sign to the new one. I was like, once a double live album's in the can. Then I'll do it. That's when. Yeah. Then I'll do it. Yeah. But uh, at, at, to this point, it's not. Not for me. Yeah, um,
3: and hey, fair enough. I've,
0: I've, I've been, at, but like I said, I've been in the plane, and I've, but I've, I've watched people do it, and and then you know been up in the plane with them, beat them to the ground, <laughs> and then jumped on them, you know, with a microphone yeah. or whatever for radio to interview them afterwards. And I've just seen transformed, transformed humans, yeah. utterly like, like it's and you know, incredible thing to face a fear like that if you are afraid of it and not just because their body is on more adrenaline than they've ever experienced in life but just I'm on the other side of my existence now where I had this thing that was stopping me forever and now I'm what do I wow yeah what does the world look like now like I've I've seen that happen and I I like to think I can achieve that in other ways
2: oh absolutely (laughs) yeah I
3: don't think
0: that's the only way to achieve that so you're gutting for it. You're like, well, let's do this. Yeah, Gemma, how did she feel about it?
3: Didn't want to do it. Never wanted to do it. Uh, she, I, I kind of love the feeling of adrenaline rising and doing things that scare me. And it actually didn't even scare me. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just thought, seems fun. Everyone does it. Off we go. I didn't yeah. think it through that much, but Gemma, I basically forced her into it. She, well, she didn't want to let me do it on her own. So she's like, okay, I'll come. But she definitely wasn't excited in the way that I was.
0: How was the safety briefing? Do you remember that? Yeah,
3: I remember my instructor making a joke saying that my harness wasn't on right or that it wasn't on tight enough. And again, I didn't really think, I just was like, ha And also I remember choosing my instructor. So it, there's only two people that go up together when it's a, helico- a helicopter, you don't fit. Eight people like they normally do in an airplane mm. so it was just Gemma and I and our instructors and the way that we chose our instructors was I heard my instructor say who wants to do flips out of the plane like who who wants to do crazy stuff and I was like yep absolutely me Gemma will hate that I'll love that so that's how it came to happen
0: <laughs> wow so yeah oh look helicopters are they're the worst things ever because once you've been in one you're like oh point to point transport. There's not even an airport involved. I'm just now where I want to be. I can land anywhere. Uh, Maybe a a golf cart to get me over there, but I can walk to where I want to go to from here. Yeah. Yeah. It's is like flying first class for the first time. Like, oh shit, it's ruined economy forever. So, you know, but helicopters get weird at altitude and to get to a skydiving altitude, that's, that's, that's pretty high for a helicopter. Yeah.
3: Well, I'd never been in one before. So that was a great part of the experience too. And as we were taking off and we got what I thought was nearly the height where we would jump, I remember feeling for the first time a little bit scared, thinking like, oh, we're actually pretty high. Like <laughs> this is probably yeah. dangerous. And I remember saying to my instructor, are we nearly there yet? And he said, no, we're not even halfway up. And so that's when I thought, oh, okay, like this is this is serious. This is real. And my heart definitely started pounding. And what else do I remember saying to him? Oh, I remember asking him i just kept talking because i was trying to like calm my nerves and i wanted to comfort myself by finding out as much about him as i could and so i remember asking has anyone ever been injured um jumping with you and he said that someone broke their ankle upon landing like they just had a rocky landing and broke their ankle and that was that and i remember feeling really comforted by that because he was so honest he could have easily just said no everyone's been fine and yeah. it just, it made me feel really confident and comfortable with him.
0: What are the physics like? Because when you're jumping out of a plane, no matter what, your your body is going to be going the opposite direction from the propeller. You've got some things at the back of the plane you want to avoid. So the tail planes are normally quite lifted up. How do you do it in a helicopter? Do they, do they go backwards? Hovering is dangerous. You know, I used to think that hovering was all helicopters did. And I remember their pilot saying, that's the most dangerous thing we can do. Oh,
3: see, so, in, I, how, I don't know. In my mind, we were hovering, but we must have been moving. Oh, there were right. so many other thoughts. Like it was just yeah, right. such a wild experience. I don't remember. I just remember sitting on the edge of the helicopter and I'm kind of yeah. sitting on his lap because he's strapped to my back. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess we, I guess we must have been moving though. And then –
0: and you've. Your feet are on the skids. Yeah. And what happens?
3: And then he says three, two, one, and then we just, that's the thing about skydiving, right? Unlike bungee jumping, you don't need to do anything. You're you're getting pushed. So he just. The
0: tandem tandem skydiving. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. So he just (laughs) like, I think we just kind of like tumbled forward out of it. And, yeah, I remember so vividly loving it to the point where I thought this is exactly what I'm meant to be doing. Like this just feels I don't know, everything for the first time in my life just like clicked into place. And I know that sounds so cheesy, especially in hindsight after everything that happened. But I remember so vividly thinking, this is the right thing to do. Like you have, you're exactly where you need to be. And it just felt so liberating and freeing. And even though we were tumbling towards the ground and plummeting, it didn't feel like falling it felt i don't want to use the word flying that's so cheesy but it 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 just felt so peaceful which you wouldn't expect when you're plummeting to the ground
0: well it's the it's it's relativity yeah isn't it Mm. like you're you're not moving you know yeah (laughs) if you if you look at the two of your bodies in act in the you know galactic space you're, you're you're at that point free of gravity you know, (laughs) know, it's, 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 it's these wild moments. Uh, did you do your flips and your tumbles? Did you, did, did you do all those things? I mean,
3: I think so, but because, because I'd never experienced it before everything, like, it just felt we like we were, it felt like we were tumbling around, but I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. really know exactly what we did, but again, as you said, it's all relative when you're that high up. The ground below yeah. is still so far away that you don't really see it changing yeah. in size even as you're coming towards it. So it just felt like we were stuck up in space. It didn't yeah. feel like we
0: were falling. Do you remember the, the colours of the mountains, the colours of the ground?
3: Yeah, and I remember it was actually um, a really cloudy day. So we were going through the clouds as well, which felt really cool. Wow. You know when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I wonder what it would be like to touch a cloud. And then you're in the cloud and you're like, oh, it's just wet and cold.
0: <laughs> and as someone as someone growing up in Canberra, which is not only quite a cold place, but can be a very dry place, yeah. what we grow up in Australia knowing as green isn't what the rest of the world thinks oh, is yeah. green. <laughs> when you came out of the clouds, what do you remember about the green that you saw?
3: I remember it looking like a patchwork because it was fields... It was, it was like all these paddocks below us but then surrounding all the paddocks there was the Alps and there was snow on some of the Alps and the, all the greens of each different field were a different colour of green and it, it was just yeah. so beautiful. And there were lakes all scattered around too that were just so perfectly blue and I, I was like, how does this place exist? <laughs> how is yeah. this
0: real? It's, yeah, I, I remember going there the first time when i get to visit my cousin and it's like, this is like a whole other, this is early days when, you know, computer colors weren't that great. It's like, I've just discovered a whole yeah, other palette yeah. of green that I, <laughs> I literally didn't know existed because yeah. all of my Australian greens are kind of khaki. Yeah. And here we are, and this is impossible. Yeah, No one could be this, this green. And so you're in this, you're in this moment and at some point, are you thinking, okay, there's going to be the, the, the jolt. There's okay. There's there's a trail. Can you could you see at this point? Could you see the chute that the trail's out behind you? Like, what can you see at this point?
3: Uh, I couldn't see anything besides the ground and the clouds because mm. I guess I was flat. So all I could see was what yeah. was in front of me. Yeah. But they told us that they would. He said he would tap me on the shoulder before he pulled the parachute because when we felt the tap, we need to cross our arms over our chest too, so our arms are out of the way. And so it came so fast because I think you're falling for. I don't know, maybe a minute or so before
0: it's a long time before the yeah. um,
3: parachute's pulled. And so I remember thinking, "Oh wow, that went fast." When I felt the tap, and then I crossed my arms over my chest, and then I waited to feel the jolt. But all I felt was just my hair being ripped backwards. And I thought, "That's so weird. Like, why? Why does no one ever warn you that that happens? Or why does no one talk about how it hurts?" And because I had nothing to compare it to. I just kind of thought, okay, well, surely we'll start slowing down soon or surely in videos I'd seen the instructor kind of gives you a high five or even gives you the ropes or whatever it is to steer. So I was waiting for all of these things to happen, but we still weren't slowing down. So I thought, okay, I just kept my arms like this waiting for more to happen. And the more that time went on and this all would have been over a few seconds. As we got closer to the ground. Suddenly I could see the change in the landscape and I could see how how quickly the things that were only specks before were now getting so much larger. And so I although I couldn't beforehand I could really feel the speed that we were going as we got closer to the ground. And I was yelling out to my instructor and just saying are we okay? What's happening? And he wasn't answering. And so initially I thought maybe he just can't hear me because it's really loud over the sound of the wind rushing past you. But yeah, at a certain point, I just realized that something was definitely wrong. And the moment that sealed it was I remember seeing a tangled up red parachute in front of me instead of open above me. And so that's when I knew for sure that we were going to crash.
0: So uh, if you could see it in front of you, it means that your instructor is beneath you at this point and you're on.
3: No, he was still on top of my back. And I don't even know how it was in front of us. I think from the police reports that i've read and whatnot there was two uh, well i do know what happened but at this point there were two parachutes out and one was in front of us and one was behind us and so because of that we were like spinning around but at the time i didn't even realize we were spinning because i was just in such a a panic at seeing this thing in front of me yeah like parallel to the ground instead of above me it was
0: yeah wild getting ready to speak to you this morning i you know, I was I was thinking, have I ever been through anything kind of similar? And I, I had a skiing accident uh, ten years ago. I, I got a moderately severe concussion out of it, but I um I remember being in the air, and then like, wow, I'm up here for a long time. I'm normally <laughs> even all the years I've been skiing and snowboarding, I'm normally down by now. Oh, I'm up here. I'm I'm still, I'm still up here. here. Yeah. Ah, oh, this is gonna. This is gonna hurt. I had enough time to go. Wow, I'm normally on the ground again. Yeah, this is gonna. This is gonna really hurt. And my skis are in the wrong. They should be below me. They're over there. And I just waited
1: because
0: mm-hmm. I knew it was. I, I tried to relax as much. as I had enough time to think. Oh, this is gonna hurt. And then, yeah, I, I. The next thing I remember is is um. It hurt a fucking lot. It was a massive bang, mm. and then I don't remember much. And then I remember sitting up and wanting to. Piss my pants, shit, and vomit all at the same time, and wanting to take my ski jacket onesie, very stylish eighties <laughs> onesie that I bought <laughs> off eBay a long time ago, um, wanting to take it off because I was suddenly very hot, and I was like, "Oh, that's bad." Yeah, and that's the only thing I can. Just that feeling of, "Oh wow, oh okay, this is going to hurt." I'm yeah, I'm out of control. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember something like yeah. that?
3: Yeah. Well, that describes it so well because. It's as though time doesn't exist as it normally does in that moment, right? You have so much time to think and register what's happening. But realistically, I'm sure for you, it would have only been a few seconds. And for me, the whole thing was only a few seconds. But you still have so much time to think all these different trains of thought. And I'd never experienced anything like that before where time just was so warped in a way that I hadn't yet, that I hadn't experienced. And so I I remember thinking with certainty that we were about to die because I could feel the speed we were going. I could see how close the ground was. And I didn't think it was humanly possible to survive that. And so after that came so many different thoughts, like Gemma's going to have to find me on the ground, like thinking about my family, thinking about my boyfriend at the time. But the main thought that I had was like this deep sense of regret. I remember feeling so angry at myself for not appreciating the entire 20 years of life that I've had up until that point, how ironic and what a shame that I'm only realizing just how much I want to live and just how strong my my will to experience everything that I can is when I only have 10 seconds left to live. Because I'd never, ever stopped to think about that before. I never realized to the point where if someone was to have told me that would happen beforehand, I probably would have thought, oh, well, like I, I just wasn't passionate about life at all. And so the yearning and just how strong it was really surprised me.
0: Isn't that so interesting how the way, like my you know, my experience does not compare to yours at all, but anyone that's had a, a car accident or anyone that has, you know, been involved in some sort of, you know, things are set in motion, you know, and... Mm-hmm whether something's falling or they're in, like, there's nothing, it might only be a couple seconds between realisation yeah. and impact, but it just gives you a clue as to how we appreciate time as humans and how fast our brain can actually work yeah. and that in those moments t- time doesn't change, mm. time's still time, yet our, our perception of time completely changes it goes completely malleable i you know and the opposite end is i've you know short version uh, again it's nothing compared to you but i've you know i've had a fair amount of hospitalization in the last couple of months and one of them i was in there for, for 9 days it was, it was like more than twice as long as i was supposed to be there and some of those days went in the blink of an eye mm. you know yeah it's 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 bonkers yeah. isn't it how our, how a plasticine or, or blue tacky our our brains are yeah. When it when it comes to time, that's just an yeah. aside there because, like, did you rem- do you remember a sound of impact? Do you remember a feeling of impact?
3: Uh, I remember the feeling because I was never knocked unconscious somehow. So I remember, I remember all of it perfectly. And obviously, it was a very traumatic memory to live through, and not a great memory to have in my brain. But I actually am really glad that I was awake for the whole time because. Because now I get to keep that very vivid memory of how it how it feels to think I only had 10 seconds left to live. And so every day on, even though some days are hard and there was obviously a lot to get through straight after that, I, above all else, just feel so lucky to even be alive. And so I'm really, really glad that I have that memory because not a lot of people would would have that experience of... Feeling what it feels like to think you're about to die.
1: All right, man. Mm.
0: (laughs) It's I've been talking about thinking about this a lot. I've been speaking with a a mate of mine about mortality and about reflecting on our own death and reflecting on the idea that we will we will die. And not to be morbid, but I I try every day to. You know, think about what would it be like if today is the day mm. that I just go out to take the bins out, you know, and a, a tree falls on mm-hmm. me or, you know, I slip and have this impossible, you know, c- confluence of events and my head hits the curb in some particular way and that's it. Or, and, not, and again, not to be morbid and I wouldn't wish it in a million, but I think about my kids dying mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. my wife dying. I try to. It's hard. But in doing so, it makes every moment, even the 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 tricky ones more more sweet, more tasty, more 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 there. Absolutely. Uh, but we we tend to avoid that in our western culture. We tend to avoid the idea of death.
3: Yeah. That's so true. Since since my accident, I definitely I think about those same things all the time. And I think it's part of it is PTSD, just realizing the fragility yeah. of life and how quickly how quickly things can change without any warning. And so if someone says they'll be home in half an hour and it's been 35 minutes, I my brain yeah. thinks they're dead. There's no there's no other option. So I am now so much more fearful of these kind of things, just living day-to-day life and in a way that's A negative but in a lot of ways it's actually a positive because you have so much more appreciation and you don't live your life pretending that we're all here forever and that we have as much time as we want and that people will never leave like it i think yeah i think there is positives to that way of thinking for sure
0: you you mentioned it so like and you've written a book about it. It doesn't mean that you're okay to talk about it in detail today. Are you okay to talk about the next bit in detail, oh, yeah. in detail yeah, today? absolutely. Okay. Well, I just, I just wanted to check because, you know, some days you might not yeah. be and that's fine. Well, thank you. But, uh, okay. yeah, no, I'm fine. So you remember every moment. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. What does it feel like to fall 14,000 feet at full speed with the weight of another <laughs> grown adult human on you? And hit the ground.
3: Yeah, so I landed on my stomach and kind of like oh face God. first and he's strapped to my back, so he landed on top of me. So we're kind of just, I'm like pinned down on my belly. And the, it's kind of funny. My first memory that I remember having as, as soon as I hit the ground was just that didn't happen. Like surely, surely that's not real. It just didn't as if, like as if I was in a skydiving accident. Five minutes earlier, I was just this young, carefree girl traveling the world, got to the most beautiful country, was so excited for the next few months. And it's just such a contrast to be living that life. And the next second later, you're living this life. And it just, my brain couldn't catch up quick enough. So I was just in so much shock. And as well as the fact that I was so certain I was about to die. So when I hit the ground and I didn't die, I was just so confused. So they were my first thoughts. And Again, with hitting the ground, it was that other, I had that experience again of time not feeling real because there would have only been a few seconds of all these different thoughts to happen, but it felt they're they're so distinct in my mind. So yeah, the first one was shock. And then the next one, I remember feeling this pain throughout my entire body. And the word pain doesn't even seem... Like it does it justice because we use that word for so many things, and I've never experienced any feeling like this. It was so unbearable, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And I thought it was so painful that I thought I was going to die from it. I didn't realize it was possible to endure that much physical suffering and carry on. And so yeah, they were the first, they were the first few seconds after I hit the ground. Then Next, I remember thinking I better go and find help because my instructor at this point still wasn't responding to me. And I thought he died and thankfully he didn't, but I thought either he's dead or he's very badly injured. So it's going to be up to me to go and find help here because keep in mind, we're in the middle of the Swiss Alps. There's from what I can see from being pinned underneath and kind of like moving my neck around, there wasn't any buildings around, there wasn't any people. So I was like, off i go through the Alps to find help. And it was in that moment when I tried to roll over to get him off me and tried to stand up that I realized I was completely paralyzed from the waist down. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't even use my abs to, to twist over. I couldn't move my legs. And then I tried to do just the simplest of tasks and try to just wriggle my toes. And there was just nothing. And I can't describe how confusing that was to to try and do this this movement that you've been able to do without a second thought for 20 years and suddenly it not work it's just yeah i i can't i can't describe it it was it was so rattling and confusing and i didn't i didn't immediately think oh i've broken my back i must be paralyzed it didn't occur to me at all i just thought why on earth why on earth isn't this working
0: and that's fair. That's fair enough. So you're processing a lot yeah. at, this, <laughs> a at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that's the thing that people may not, you know, if they've never been skydiving, they generally, these, This is an activity that generally takes place away from a populated centre for obvious reasons, because yeah. you want to have plenty, plenty of options to, if the wind changes from what it was when you left yeah. the ground, you want to be able to have plenty of options to, to touch the ground in somewhere that there aren't cars and trucks and power lines and, you know, whatever for highways. Um, so, the landing sites are often quite isolated. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of Wollongong when it's right on the beach. <laughs> um, Same
3: here on the Gold Coast. So you can just be sitting on the beach and, oh, someone lands next to you.
0: <laughs> amazing. So, you go through it very quickly. You go through denial, then, you know, <laughs> shock it. Uh, I, I don't imagine you've come to acceptance at that point, but you're definitely like, well, I've, I've, I need help. How am I going to get help? What happens now? Gemma, your mate. Mm-hmm obviously has no, no idea any of this happened. No. What did she tell you when her shoot opens and she looks and she can't see your shoot? What did she tell you?
3: Well, she told me much later on that she hated the entire thing because I always thought anyone that, was, anyone that was nervous to skydive would do it and then they would have that, as you said before, that transformative feeling of, wow, like I'm so glad I conquered my fear. I feel this big rush of being alive. Thank God I did that. But she didn't have that at all. She said she absolutely hated the entire experience to the point where she kind of could sense that something was wrong. And so she couldn't see me at all. So she had no idea that anything was wrong. Even once her chute was open, she didn't, she didn't know, but her instructor must have because they followed us down to where we landed, which was, I think it was like over a kilometer away from where we were meant to be. And so when they arrived, which was probably only two or so minutes later, but for me it felt like, I felt like there was an hour that passed as I was laying there on the ground not knowing how I was going to get out of there. But when they did land, I, she obviously saw our parachute on the ground and us all tangled up and us laying there. And I can remember so vividly seeing her running towards me and just seeing all of those emotions that I'd just been through flash across her face like the... Denial and the shock, and like just trying to wrap her head around this situation that was so unfathomable two minutes earlier. And keep in mind, we're we're only twenty, and we're alone in this foreign country. And so I just I've never felt more like a kid, which is so funny because yeah. before that we felt so grown up. You know, when you first travel yeah. when you when you're young yeah. and you're like, look at me, I'm so worldly, I'm out and about, I. I'm so independent. And in that moment, we just, I remember thinking we are little kids. Like, we're not, nah. we're not prepared for this. I don't know what to do.
0: It's not just a, it's not just a trope uh, that you see in, in war movies. Like, it actually happens that the most ferocious soldiers will cry out for their mother yeah. on, on the battlefield yeah. when, when they're in uh, grievously injured.
1: Yeah,
3: absolutely. And like, that's, yeah. that's exactly what I did. I remember saying to Gemma, call my mum like we ne- and we didn't have a phone but so what happened next was there were these two people walking by through this field thankfully and Gemma she just went she's someone that's really good at like organizing things and taking action and just knowing what needs to be done and so she just went into this mode of like okay let's let's solve the next problem one step at a time and so she yeah. ran over to this couple grabbed their phone gave it to her instructor to call for emergency services and then she got the phone again and called my mum and I, when i think back on it now like i realized i would have had no idea how to call australia from a swiss yeah. phone i i don't know how yeah. she and when i asked her how did you know that she's like i don't know
0: <laughs> wow
3: just came to her somehow
0: <laughs> how did you get out of there because if you're in such an isolated place a, v- a vehicular yeah. like i'm guessing you know when you're near a road
3: well, we actually were, we landed two meters away from a bitumen road. It definitely wasn't a road wow. that's used okay. often, but we landed yeah. on grass and yeah, who knows what would have happened if we landed on that road.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah
3: but so wow. the, the first people to arrive on the scene were police officers and then an ambulance came and I remember the ambulance just taking one look at us and being like, we're going to need the helicopter. So
0: great. Another capital. Yeah. Never been on one to two, in, yeah, one two day. in one day. Unreal.
3: And so it was probably an hour that we were on oh the ground, but it felt like 10 years. And yeah. I remember I just kept asking to move. I was like, please just roll me on my back or like move. Cause I was still this entire time in so much pain. And I just thought if mm. I was to go in a different position, maybe it would hurt less. But obviously people had the foresight to realize you're not meant to move because they obviously yeah. knew I'd broken my back. And so I was just like yelling at everyone. I was begging for water, but they knew that I couldn't have anything in my system because I was about to go into surgery. So it it was just unbearable lying there. But when the (sighs) helicopter came, they gave me like they had a drip in my arm and were giving me painkillers. And by the time I was in the helicopter and we were taking off, they must have really been, um, like sinking in, because I remember so vividly laying laying in this helicopter, looking out the window and thinking like, this is nice. Like we get a little free helicopter ride. I was like, look at that view. How wonderful is this? So it had all really kicked in by then. <laughs>
0: uh, like, I'm so grateful you've written a book because the, the next bit is the, is, is a, I really want to dive right into all of it but we only have so much time to get to get into your story but and I certainly don't want to make light of what the next weeks and months were like because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there was ex- extensive and very difficult you know things to process and you know pain and understanding and surgery and then how do you get back to Australia and all, all, all this sort of stuff. Do you remember going through the process of denial and, and the pain of resistance to, that this has even happened, that you've, you've broken your back and someone said, oh, you're never going to walk again?
3: I actually found acceptance so quickly and I, I don't really wow. know how, but it would have been maybe a week or two later. I remember waking up in hospital and before this, I'd been so devastated and depressed laying in this bed. And I just thought like, how could this happen? Life's never going to be okay again. What am I going to do? And I kept trying to pull all the cords out of me and trying to roll myself off the bed. Like I I just wanted to die. I didn't, I didn't think that I was, I knew that there'd be so many people that could handle that situation, but not me. I wasn't a strong person. I wasn't a resilient person. I just thought I'm not the person that's going to be able to deal with this. But then one morning I woke up and I looked around at the hospital room and everything was the same. I still had a catheter bag attached to me. I still couldn't move at all. And there was a suicide, I had, I was on suicide watch. So there was a nurse that couldn't leave my side at all times. And all of it was the same. And I just remember having this epiphany of like, okay, what has happened has happened. And I can spend the rest of my life, wishing that it didn't and wishing that I could reverse the clock and change what has happened. But there's actually absolutely nothing I can do to change it. And so if that's the case, there really isn't much use in spending all of my energy trying to change something that can't be changed. And so I figured that I could be paralyzed and miserable and resentful and never try to make anything of my life or I could be paralyzed and try to create a fulfilling life for myself, regardless of that, because I knew that either way I was going to be paralyzed. So that was out of my control, but what was in my control was my mind. And I have no idea where this big revolution came from because it it wasn't, it wasn't me at all. But I think yeah. just, As I said before, having that experience of thinking I was about to die as I was falling, it changed my entire perspective. And I thought in that moment when I was falling, I would have done anything to survive and anything to have another day on earth, let alone another 10 years or 50 years, whatever it is. And so here I was surviving, yet I was so unhappy and I was wasting that time. So I thought I didn't survive this unsurvivable thing to lay here and be upset. And so I just wanted to make the most.
0: That you discovered that by yourself is extraordinary. People can be walked towards that place by incredibly supported along the way. Yet unless the person decides to walk through that door, it, it will never happen. So it's unbelievable that you found that yourself. Yeah, That's I, extraordinary.
3: I, I don't really know how, but but there was another moment actually in hospital a few months later. So up until that point, I I was now in Sydney living in a spinal
0: ward. Shout out to the Australian healthcare system, like amazing, fucking believable. We are yeah. so lucky. We we think of it like water out of a tap that will always be in there, but I promise you, there's countries in the world where yeah, forget it, it's not there. Yeah. So you're in this in this spinal ward living as an inpatient, not fun. What was the the moment of acceptance that, that you experienced there?
3: So this was more so accepting my injury and disability for what it was. So I was speaking to a guy that I met in the spinal ward and most of the people in the spinal ward had been injured in the last few months. And so everyone that I was used to speaking to had very recent traumatic experiences and we were kind of all going through the same motions at the same time. But this guy, he was in there for something different and he, he was in a wheelchair, but he had been injured two years earlier. So he kind of had more time to come to terms with all of it. Yeah. And we were speaking. And then I remember in passing, he just, he said a sentence that stuck out to me so much. And even though the conversation just continued on as normal after that, you know, those moments that just, you're like, this is profound. Like I have been forever changed by the sentence. He said, I'll never be happy. Unless I can walk again, and when he said that, I remember thinking that up until that point, I'd kind of thought the same. in In the spinal ward, everyone the aim of the game was to get back on your feet and to get walking again. That's what we were all working towards and what everyone was speaking about. So I think I'd subconsciously felt the same. Like my real life will begin once I get back on my feet and can walk again, and that's when I'll be happy, and that's when everything will go back to how it was. But when I heard it worded like that, so matter of factly, I will never be happy unless I can walk. I realized how much of a risk that is and how, how dangerous it is to place all of our future joy and happiness on this one very specific hmm. and at that point, very unlikely thing. And yeah. I realized I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that I would be okay mentally and emotionally no matter what happened with my body, I wanted to make sure that I could find happiness and I could feel joy and that I I would live a fulfilling life, regardless of whether or not I got out of my wheelchair. Because when I thought about it, I realized that even when I had everything that I had now wanted, because I'd also lost bladder and bowel control and I couldn't feel half of my body as well as not being able to move it and all these things that i was hoping would come back i realized that i'd i'd had them all before i had had everything that i wanted and when i did have them before my accident i wasn't happy it wasn't that wasn't the key to this this like everlasting joy that i had been searching for because i'd had it all and i was so unhappy back then so i realized that if i wanted to find that it wasn't going to come through learning to walk again it wasn't related to my physical body i needed to search for something that, that couldn't be taken away because we, any day we can be in another accident. We can have something else happen to us or even just with old age in general, our bodies are never going to work the way that they once did. So I didn't want to put everything into that thing that could be taken away.
0: That, that is a profound thing to, to come to, and I'm sure you know not everyone listening has survived a skydiving accident, but I'm sure everyone listening <laughs> can relate to the person you were speaking to, whether it be, oh, when I get a cat, then I'll be happy, mm-hmm. or oh, when I get a new iPad, then I'll be happy, or oh, when I move house, I'll be happy, when I have yep. a child, I'll be happy, yep. when I have another when I meet child, that
3: person. Yeah.
0: when I have a second yep. job, when I change jobs, when I move, when, 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 when. Yeah. It's a fallacy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about this and that the chapter is called now what? And I, I realized when I was reflecting on my conversation with that guy that I thought, okay, well, what would happen if I got everything that I wanted? I could walk again. My bladder worked, my bowels worked. I had an amazing boyfriend. I had a house. I had a job that I loved. What would happen if I got all of those things? And I realized, and I felt really bad admitting this to myself while I was there paralyzed, surrounded by other people that are paralyzed. But I realized that even if I could walk again, there would come a day where I would look around and be really thankful for it, but I would stop and pause and go, oh, well, now what? Like, I still have the rest of my life to live. This one thing isn't going to solve everything for the rest of my life. Walking is simply a way to get from A to B. And obviously it's a very helpful way and something I'm eternally thankful for, but it's not the answer to everything. And yeah, we're constantly, as humans, putting our, putting our future happiness on so many things like, and, and to the point where we never stop to think about the things that we have and realize that what we have now is the thing we were once (laughs) hoping for and working towards. Like we never stopped to appreciate that. We're always searching for the next thing, but there's never an end point if we live that way.
0: You, uh, one of the, the, the miracle stories that we sometimes hear and see about, you know, this is never walk again, now I'm walking. Incredible. Uh, I'm so grateful you, you, you wrote about that. Though I was, I was talking with Audrey the other day. The first time I went for a beer with a mate, it was back when I was drinking, uh, a mate of mine was in a chair. And the first time I went for a beer with him, like early on when we met, I was like, wow, the world is fucked for you. Mm-hmm. This is like this is, the world doesn't care that you have wheels. That's yeah. as you first took your first steps out of the hospital and started to go back and engage with the systems in society, whether they be healthcare or transport or or whatever. What are some things that showed up for you, kind of immediately?
3: Well, yeah, when I when I did leave the hospital, I was still in a wheelchair, and I'd been in the hospital for four months, and. I, I knew as I was in it that hospital would be the easiest place. Mm. People were really looking forward to leaving hospital. And I remember thinking like, no, I know that when I leave, things are going to be a lot harder. Everything's catered to a wheelchair in hospital. The bathrooms are big enough. The tables are the right height that you can wheel underneath. It was all, it was all made so comfortable and simple for us. And then leaving that, and going back to the house that I lived in when I was on my own two feet and realizing I could no longer, it was a it was a one-story house, but I could no longer even get up the tiny ledge to get in the door. I couldn't stand in my shower, so I couldn't reach the shower head anymore. Um, I couldn't, even the my driveway to my house was so steep, so I couldn't get up my driveway by myself. There, there was so many things throughout the world. Canberra was actually, I think, Canberra one of the, like, the neatest cities, right? And there's been so much thought. So everywhere, most places on the, what's it called? Pavement and sidewalk did have a ramp, but so many other places that I went and different yeah. cities and country towns and whatnot, you just couldn't get around if you yeah. were by yourself. And so taking those first steps and even in the year and a half after that, when I was on my crutches, I was so thankful because I could I could get places by myself and I didn't have to, pre-plan in the way that you do need to when you're in a wheelchair.
0: You have been an advocate for um, people living with a, yeah, I don't like the word, people who are different, differently abled. I don't mm-hmm. know because I don't, I don't like negative prefixes and suffixes of a whole thing about disorder because I have a few of them. I'm like, I don't feel disordered. you know. This is just yeah. how my brain works. My brain's done some yeah. pretty cool shit. So different, people who are differently abled. Uh, whether they are born with a different ability or they have uh, some sort of thing happen to them. Uh, what do you want people to to know? I mean, there was a time, I, I'm old, right? There was a time when because the world was built not for anybody unless they were bipedal and fine, they, you just didn't see people who had different abilities in, in public. Yeah. Because they were like, sucked in, you live the rest of your life at home. Goodbye. Yeah. You can't go to school. You can't go to uni. You can't go anywhere. That's it. Tough luck. See you later.
2: Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: but that started to change in the 70s. What would you say to someone who's listening who doesn't quite know how to speak to or engage with someone that they just meet that might, might be in a chair, might have some sort of, you know, Hearing, uh, you know, ability, or, 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 or you know, not as many arms as everybody else. Like, what would you? Say, what would you say about ways to engage? It doesn't make it weird, because that's the thing. That's the thing. We also we feel so this is weird. I don't know what to do. And because yeah. we show up with that, this is weird. I don't know what to do. It becomes weird.
1: Yeah,
3: I think we're so scared of saying the wrong thing, and we're scared of things we don't understand. Yeah, but I think I don't know. I would say just treat people as you would treat anyone else, yeah. and also. I think, oh, I guess there's there's a right and wrong way to go about this, but don't be afraid to ask people things. Don't assume what people need, ask them. But obviously yeah. that's different to going up to like so many people when I was in a wheelchair would come up and say, what happened? Like, I'm just living my life. I don't really feel like talking about the most traumatic moment yeah. of my life while I'm in the shopping center. Yeah. So there's definitely a way to ask, but I yeah, I think the key is asking people what they need that is different rather than just assuming so many people used to come up to me when I was in my wheelchair and like strangers and push me thinking they were helping me but we would never just go up to someone walking and like give them a little push and it's the same thing like people would assume that I needed all of this help when realistically I didn't. Yeah. in a lot of ways.
0: What does it do for you as someone who's in a, in a chair or later when you're on crutches, if you drop something and either someone you love or a, or, or a stranger goes, oh, I'll, oh, let me get it for you. Does there a feeling of, um, I've actually got this, you're taking away my agency or is it, oh, oh, thanks. I really needed that. It's like, is it, does it change on the day?
3: I guess it can be both. And in the beginning, I was really, I was really in denial about the times when I did need help because I wanted to be able to do everything my own. And I thought that the weak option was accepting help, but the more that time went on and I accepted living in a wheelchair and I accepted the fact that I couldn't do all the things that I used to do. And that sure, I could probably find a way to get a lot of things done my, done by myself, but life would be a whole lot easier if I accepted certain amounts of help. And I realized that like It's not at all, it's actually strong to be able to accept help because you're, you're realizing that it's a way to make your life easier and you're not making yourself live in a more difficult way just to, I don't know, just to prove something to yourself. So I really very, very quickly got very comfortable with accepting help and realizing what my limitations were and what was going to make my life easier.
0: So just a moment away from M's conversation to say hello. And if you want to talk more about this episode or any other episode, there's different places you can talk about the episodes. All on our Discord server, which is going really great. There's a link in the show notes. Discord is kind of like an old school chat room. And it's really nice. Nice place to be. It's a nice place to hang out. It's a nice place to connect with other people uh, who listen to the show. I like being there. And um, yeah, it's a nicer place than some of the other platforms that I have tried connecting with people who listen, listen to the show. I'm, I'm really enjoying being there. Uh, you could also email me if you like, send or email at gmail.com Do check out Dad Pod with Charlie Clawson and myself It's a lot of fun, this episode. Uh, this week's episode is a QA and a episode, which is heaps good and oh, we just put a whole bunch more of full episodes up on YouTube, so search for Better Than Yesterday on YouTube and you'll you'll find us there, you'll find uh, full episodes. The Taylor Hansen episodes one of the ones that you may recognise and it's up there up there right now. Look, we All this fantastic post-production costs money and to pay for it, we play some ads. So you might hear some ads here. And if you do, thank you very much. You're helping us keep the lights on. If you don't hear some ads, hooray. We're back with more of M.
1: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: What would you say to, to people? I mean, there's a clearly a, a, a difference between uh, you and the, the other patient that you met in the ward as to how your, your mindset was around what was going on with your bodies, mm-hmm. what would you what would you say to people who are listening about the, the power that lies within, I'm going to have this thing and still have a fucking good life with this thing and this thing is going to come with me?
3: It's very freeing. So for me, although I can now walk again. And obviously I still have a limp and can't do a lot of the things that I used to. But although the movement has come back, so many other parts of the injury didn't. So I still don't have any bladder control control or bowel control. So I need to use catheters and enemas and things like that. And I have accidents all day, every day. And so when I first left hospital, I was so petrified of going anywhere because I was so nervous that I was going to have an accident and that it would be embarrassing. And I didn't want to tell, I didn't want to tell everyone what I was going through. And so I kept it to myself. And because it was a secret, I never let anyone in and I never went out. And I realized after a few months of that, that it just wasn't an enjoyable way to live. I I'd survived this impossible thing. And I'd gone through this whole transformative experience but now i was just like a shell of myself in the walls of my own home and i thought that's not that's not what i survived to do and so i thought okay why don't i just tell people and see what happens why don't i go out anyway and see what's what's the worst that can happen and so i slowly started letting people in and explaining these things about me and accepting it little by little and I realized that absolutely no one cared, literally no one, like no matter, oh, to, to this day, nine years on, I will have an accident. Like when I'm out in about literally every single day, multiple times a day. And like, no one cares. And if they did, I wouldn't care. I don't, I don't know. It, it's just been the most freeing thing that I've ever done to accept all parts of myself and to not keep things a secret because keeping things a secret is what makes it difficult. But the more that you open up and realize that you, you wouldn't judge another person for that thing, so you can trust that they won't judge that, you for that either. It's, yeah, it's just been game-changing.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: extraordinary. And it really takes me back to that moment where you had the clear choice of, I'm not going to waste energy on this so mm-hmm. when you have all that energy that you can redirect like that's a lot of energy clearly you've got a lot of energy to give what's it feel like to redirect all of the energy you otherwise be using about uh, internalized shame or self-consciousness or whatever what's it like to redirect that energy towards something that you want to do
3: it's just it's like living an entirely different life you go from living in fear to living in excitement and possibility And still, even now, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't know what, what I want the next year to hold or where I want to go, but I feel, I feel excited and I feel like there's possibilities and opportunities. I don't feel that any part of what happened to me is holding me back in any way. And I, I didn't think that I would ever feel that way. When I, when I was laying on the ground after the accident, I remember my biggest fear wasn't that I would never walk again. My biggest fear was that I would never feel happiness again because I didn't think it was possible to go through something so big and to be able to feel genuine joy again. And there's been so many times in my life now where I have felt I've felt joy beyond what I felt before I was paralyzed in any way. So I'm so grateful that I've come to this place where I realize that everything that had happened has helped me grow so much, but it is in no way Holding me back or limiting my life.
0: I can't. I can't thank you enough for sharing this. This sort of thing, you know, because it's it's one thing for 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 me to say what I was saying before about you know you know I had this tiny little experience, but that yeah, you've just shared lessons learned from falling out of a plane and being told you'll never like and surviving and never being told you never walk again and working, and and the things that you've come to discover. You've now shared with people so they don't have to. You know,
3: (laughs) That's exactly why I wanted to write my book. I thought I've learned so much from these experiences. I wish that other people could without needing to bloody fall from the sky. (laughs) So that's why I wanted to piece it together. And I'm actually really glad that I wrote the book nine years on with so much hindsight because I think if I wrote it just a year or two afterwards, I would have just been retelling the story of what yeah. happened, whereas when I wrote it now, I wanted to obviously tell what happened and share the raw emotions that I felt as it was happening, but I wanted to share the lessons as well and the yeah. growth and just hind- hindsight is an amazing thing and so I am really – I think I've done it at the right time.
0: You you are a, an extraordinary human and I'm so grateful that we got a chance to, to chat today and just far out, man. There's so much that you've spoken – Today, that has really struck me, and I'm sure people listening and watching will feel the same way. I, you know, like I could, like I said, I could do 10 episodes with you. You know, <laughs> you've got a lot to tell. You've got a lot to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I can't
3: believe how long we've been talking. I could. Continue <laughs> Sorry. <on>. No, <laughs> Sorry. it's been great.
0: <laughs> you're a special human being, Am, and you're going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time to do this.
3: Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>
0: That was M Carey. Her book is called The Girl Who Fell From the Sky. It's out right now. Get it where you get your books. It's an incredible story to tell, and that really leaves me fired up. I was so fired up listening to that. Massive thanks to M for being on the show. We've been trying to make it happen for quite a while. It was awesome. Thank you to Bree Steele on Research and Support, who helped us make this episode. Thanks to Toe Hider, who made all the music. Andy Ma the master of all of post production uh, antimar.com for all your pod and video post production services he's the best he's been with us for years love him and rachel barrett the executive producer of everything this and all the other stuff you get to see and hear but trust me there's a lot on the way <laughs> thanks for being a part of it subscribe to the show like the show if the show brought you any value please you, you can tell a mate that really helps us a lot and there's also a patreon patreon.com/osher as it turns out we just the, the way the patreon works the workflow that was required to create extra episodes for patreon we some other stuff's going on we just we didn't have it in the pipeline so if you do want to be a monetary benefactor of the show just for the beautiful feeling inside your heart that you're making this show a better show by all means patreon.com slash osher you'll get the same podcast as everybody else everybody else gets the same podcast as you but you get the extra wonderful feeling inside your tummy of i helped that guy like if we were at i don't know down the street from your place and you saw me getting a coffee, if you'd like, hey, I want to say thank you for your podcast. I'm going to buy you a coffee. If you do that, boom, throw that in there. It all works out and it all helps. So thank you so much. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,